Well, as I prepare each Sunday, uh, most of the time, I have a pretty good idea where I'm going to land. I usually going in, I know here's the text we're going to work with, or here's the topic, and all right, here's where we're going to get to, and, and then it's a matter of, okay, how do we get there? And this week was particularly fun. It happened several times where I have this aha moment along the way, and it doesn't end the way I expected it to end, so I'm excited to share that with you today, even though some of you are going to go, really? You just got that this week. But it was fun for me. We'll get there, but first I want to bring us up to speed. So here, real quick, let me try to catch everyone up. Uh, for those who weren't a part of the last three weeks, three weeks ago we started a series, and today we're going to be wrapping it up. Today is part four of a four-part series on marriage. And when we opened three weeks ago, we opened in the book of Genesis chapter 2. It's the first book of the Bible in, uh, that we've got. And in this book we find our origin stories. Our origin stories is humanity. And here's one of the passages that we looked at. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says this. Referring to the first man, um, Adam, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And if we could leave that on the screen for a second, let me just comment on this passage and some other things from Genesis 2. The verbiage that is used in Genesis chapter 2 for the first couple, the world's first couple, it is inspiring language. Absolutely inspiring language. This word here, I put the Hebrew word that uh, we translate helper from. It's a word called Ezra. I put that up on the screen. That is an amazing word. And, and that word encapsulates part of what God's intent for marriage is. It's an inspiring thing. The, the word Ezra means one who supplies strength in the area that is lacking in the helped. One who pro- applies strength or provides strength in the area that's lacking the help. You talk about inspiring How inspiring is that? Imagine having someone who is committed to supplying strength that you lack in good times and bad, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And they were committed to that until death do you part. That's inspiring. The verbiage that's also used in Genesis 2 is not just inspiring, it's exclusive. It's exclusive. The combination of words that translate in Genesis 2 as suitable helper, they're not found anywhere else in the Bible. They're not found anywhere else in the ancient literature of the time. This is a phrase that's, that's only ascribed to the world's first couple and then to the rest of us who are married. And that, too, is God's intent for marriage. Marriage was intended to be a unique, exclusive, one-of-a-kind relationship between two people whose very bodies were created for one another. Two people who share a covenant and a bond that they share with no one else. So marriage, it's, it's meant to be inspiring. It's meant to be exclusive. And as we've mentioned along the way, it is profound. Profound. Because it's only together as men and women where we can bring into this world eternal beings who bear our image as mom and dad as well as the image of God. It's inspiring. It is exclusive. It is profound. Marriage was designed by God to be a relationship like no other relationship. And throughout this series, we've mentioned that the Bible itself testifies to the fact that marriage isn't for everyone. But most of us, most of us long for this. Most of us long to be in a relationship like that, that's inspiring and exclusive and profound. The text that we're going to look at today, the text that we're going to look at in just a few minutes, actually, is one I've never taught on before. It comes from a book that I don't think I've ever taught from before. It's in some of your Bibles, it's called Song of Solomon. Some it's called Song of Songs. 
here's, here's uh, this, this book, it's, it's a fascinating book, and, and people aren't sure exactly how to interpret it. Well, some people are sure that it's interpreted one way, another way. So they're sure people. But it's, it's got so much to it. But one of the things that I think everybody agrees on is there's a love story going on in this book. There's a guy and a girl who are absolutely crazy for one another. Here are some excerpts. It's a poem. It's a song. And here are some excerpts from the very first chapter of that. We've got this emotional connection that these two have. And we see that in in verse 1, 2 through 4, and all over the place in there. Your love is better than wine, one says to the other. Draw me after you. So this couple has an emotional connection. But it's not just an emotional connection. There's also a physical connection. Here we go. His, His left arm is under my head. His right hand embraces me. So we've got emotional connection. We've got a physical connection. And, and they are just crazy for one another. In, in verse 7 and verse 15, she says, Tell me, you whom my soul loves. And, and then I had to paraphrase it. Where do you work? I just want to be close to you. Tell me where you work so I can just come and be near you. And then he says, Oh, behold, you're beautiful, my love. And, and it goes on and on and on. And what you see on the screens, this is the tame stuff. Yeah, this is the tame stuff. Um, and you might be thinking, well, let me see the untamed stuff. And, and we welcome you. It's scripture. You know, it's, it's Bible. Um, but when you read it through a suburban Western lens, it's going to look really tame. But when you read it in its original language and you start to get the metaphors, I mean, this would make Hugh Hefner blush. This would make Katy Perry blush. I mean, this is as graphic and explicit as it comes when you really understand what these uh, what they're alluding to. In, in many of these phrases. So it is, it is a powerful book. It's a powerful love story. They're drawn to each other emotionally. They're drawn to each other physically. The Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, is a poetic exchange between a man and woman who are drawn to each other. And it's fascinating, if we had more time to unpack all the language that's used, the language that's used invokes Genesis. It invokes the time in Genesis before the fall of humankind. There are connections there that would make an astute reader um, go, wait a minute, there are parallels here between what this couple is experiencing and what God intended couples to experience in a time before sin entered the world. So there's all of that going on. The the level of bliss and romanticism in this book is equal to anything you're going to find in any epic love story. Now, many couples, many couples are lured into marriage by the physical and emotionally intoxicating nature of a relationship like this. But here's the thing, and this is what we looked at in week one. There's not just meant to be, in God's design, a spiritual and physical connection. There's meant to be a spiritual connection. And it's meant to be not just a spiritual connection between the two. It's also meant to be the type of thing where the world looks at a couple who's living according to God's design and goes, that's how God feels about us. Wow. When the world looks and and they see a couple that's responding the way that that God would have us respond, they look at it and they go, wow, you mean God is that faithful to us? And we're to be that faithful to God? Wow. God shows that kind of honor to, to, to us. And we're to show that kind of honor to God. And, and God sacrifices like he sacrifices for her and she sacrifices for him. Wow! How can I know more about that God? And here's another thing about marriage. In the very pursuit of that ideal, marriage has the inherent potential to make us more like Christ. If you want to become like Jesus, you can. You know, marriage is a, is a crucible for that in a good way. 
Nothing will put your willingness to serve and sacrifice on display for the world to see like marriage. Nothing will expose your selfishness like marriage. Marriage will either refine your faith like precious metal or expose the dross of your self-centeredness. If you're married, if you're pursuing marriage, the vision that the Bible paints, the vision we looked at in week one of marriage, of what it can be, what it can do, it is worth your best effort. It is worth your most passionate prayers. It is worth your greatest sacrifices. That was week one. Well, week two can be summed up in this question that we ask single people. In week two, what we did is we focused in on those who are single who hope to be married someday. And we, we said, you know, it comes down to this. Instead of I'm looking for Mr. Right, I'm looking for Mrs. Right, it becomes, am I becoming the person that I'm looking for is looking for? If you want a marriage like the Bible describes, set out to be a person like that. That was week two. In week three, we reminded everyone, married or not married, if you want to be married someday or are, we reminded you that you're not done when you say I do. You aren't done when you say I do. The pursuit of the marriage you were created for continues long after the honeymoon ends. Marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. And what we, one of the phrases that we put out there as we began to unpack this a little bit, we've learned marriage is hard by design and because it's opposed. Marriage is hard by design. We were created with longings that only God can fill. And in this fallen world, one of the things that happens is we begin to ascribe those to our spouse. You should make me feel this way. You should meet these deep needs. Whether it's conscious or unconscious, we're looking for that in each other. And, and we mentioned it's like two colanders trying to fill each other. It just doesn't work. By design. Because we were created for an eternal being. And then we're created with his help to try to model, you know, as, as these broken vessels, what God can do in and through us. But on top of that, on top of the design, we, we also looked at last week how marriage is hard because it's opposed. If you're pursuing a Genesis 2 relationship, there's a serpent in the garden who came after that first couple and he comes after you. If you're, um, if you're pursuing an Ephesians 5 marriage, Ephesians 6 comes next where we're warned about these powers and principalities of this world. There is an adversary who is filled with fury, one who has declared war on your relationship and what it represents or could represent. And here's, here's one of the thoughts that came into my head this week. Have you ever wondered why it's so easy when it comes to relationships to make stupid and sinful choices? You don't have to work at those, Right? Why is that? Even the ones you know, this is stupid. This is sinful. Why is the pull there? And why is there not a pull towards what is wise and God-honoring? Why, why is that so hard? Why is the other so easy? We, it's opposed. There's a, there are spiritual forces at work that tempt you down one path and make it really hard to pursue the other. And this adversary, he is very good at what he does. He's the one who convinced one-third of the angels to rebel against God. He didn't have any trouble convincing the first couple to buy into his narrative of how things are and how things should be. And think about this. He's had 6,000 years of practice. He's had seven, more than 7 billion couples to test it on. He's probably better now than he was back then. And he's not going to come knocking on your door saying, on a dark and stormy night, Hi, I'm the devil. I'm here to mess up your marriage. You know? No. He's going to come at you the way we're going to look at today. Here's the passage that we're going to look at now in our final week of the series, week four. If you have your Bibles, that was awesome. I just saw a whole bunch of people grabbing their, their Bibles, grabbing their, uh, their, their electronic Bibles, or grabbing their chapstick, you know. 
<laughs> I can grab that too. <laughs> here's, here's the passage we're going to look at today. Um, and I should remind, this is a good reminder too, if you don't have a Bible at home and all you got in your pocket is chapstick, you know, we keep, <laughs> no, he's going right here. Come on, smartphone. It's, it's, it's right here. I'm good. <laughs> Um, we keep a stack of Bibles every week. Please take one as a gift to you. You don't have to let us know. We just keep the stacks there. We'd encourage you to take one take one home with you. Here's this cryptic little verse that we're going to look at. I had read over this before. It never caught my eye. It caught my eye, uh, truth be told, um, when I read a book called Love and War, um, a book that I put a reference in your notes. Uh, they had a chapter on just this little verse. So good. Here it is. Song of Solomon, chapter 2 verse 15. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. I'll read that again. Catch for us the little foxes, or catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards for our vineyards that are in bloom. Um, This is generally how the adversary comes at us. He comes at us this way, and if it doesn't make sense yet, hopefully it will here as we begin to unpack this. Now, this passage is from that same book that I was quoting from earlier, the one where the two couples, the the couple is crazy in love. Their vineyard is in full bloom, she says. Their vineyard is in full bloom. When you see the word vineyard used in the Bible, it's almost always code for something. There's almost always a double meaning when you see the word vineyard, and it can mean a couple different things. But it's almost always a code word. If you're reading the Bible, you see the word vineyard, it almost always means something besides vineyard. Almost always. A vineyard was an extremely valuable asset in that time at that place. You protected your vineyard with walls and hedges. You posted watchmen and caretakers. caretakers. You pruned and watered and tended to the plants, and you guarded and defended your vineyard against intruders. As we're introduced, it's interesting, as we're introduced to the girl... In Song of Songs. As she comes on the scene, there's a vineyard connection to her when she first comes on. This is in chapter 2. If we back up to chapter 1, verse 6, as she's introduced, there's this vineyard motif that comes with her. She says to, to her lover, Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. But my own vineyard I have not kept. Now, in that time, at that place, and in many other times, many other places, tans, that's what she's talking about here, tans were not looked upon as an attractive thing. A tan meant that you were very blue-collar, you were out in the fields, this is, you know, you weren't privileged enough to just be in the shelter, in the shade all the time. So she's, in other words, she's saying, hey, sorry I've got a tan. Sorry I've got a tan. You know, I had to tend to the family's vineyard. My family made me work in their vineyard, and so I couldn't tend to my own vineyard, meaning my own physical appearance, the way I'd like to. So there's a family vineyard thing going on as she's introduced, and there's an individual vineyard thing going on as she's introduced. Keep that in mind. Well, that doesn't matter to him. He says, you're the most beautiful among women, even with that tan just two verses later. Well, he didn't say the tan part, but I added that. Okay, now let's go back to verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. It is so important in the scriptures. One of the reasons we say, study the Bible. Don't just read it, study it. Get in a group, get a study Bible. Because there's so many nuances where there's so much meaning. One word, one little phrase, it's so loaded. And we don't have time to unpack all of it, but one of the things I wish I had more time to unpack was the word our. 
where she now, as she's talking to this, this guy, she says, our vineyards. Remember, she was introduced, it was family vineyard. It was my vineyard. Now it's our vineyard. The connections, again, the, the ding, ding, ding would be going off on astute readers of the scriptures. They would be saying, wait a minute, this is again Genesis 2. This is Genesis 2, where, where it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. He will become one with his wife. Just as she left the family vineyard, and now it's not just about me, my vineyard, it's about us, our vineyard. And what she says about her vineyard is, we've got to protect it. It is in bloom. We want to protect this thing. And what does she say we need to protect it from not the intruders, not the big stuff. That's a given. She says, we got to protect this from the foxes. And then look at this. She even says the little foxes, not the big scary monster foxes. We have to, we have to protect this thing, this special thing we have. If we want it to stay in bloom, if we want this thing to last, if we want this thing to grow, we got to protect it from the little foxes. Now, in ancient Egyptian love poetry, of which I am such an expert, but I did read this in one of my sources um, this week. In Egyptian love poetry, the term fox can be used like today we say, that guy, he's a dog or he's a wolf. You know, he's one of those guys that preys on women. Fox could mean that back in the day, but I don't think she's trying to talk like an Egyptian, which is kind of a veiled 80s reference, but we'll move on from that. Um, I don't think that's what's implied here. I, I think what she's getting at here is the little foxes can be anything, anything that's going to get between us, any of those things that seem little, but if you just let them roam, they're going to cause trouble, and they're going to invite their friends. I think that's what she's talking about. So if I were to define little fox, I would define it something like this. Don't try to write this down. You'll never get it in time unless you write really fast. A little fox, it's an irritation. It's a quirk. It's a habit. It's a thought. It's a taboo topic. It's a behavior. It's an issue. It's a preference. It's a circumstance. It's a decision. It's an influence. It's a situation. It's a status. It is a strength and or a weakness. It's anything. It is anything that has the long-term potential to cause long-term relational damage if you don't deal with it properly. Almost anything, almost anything can become a little fox. You know, I, here's some examples. Let's say he spends hours and hours and hours perfecting his golf game. And he is really good at getting that little ball into that little hole. But yet, when it comes to his socks and the hamper, it's such a challenge, he can't get the socks in the hamper. That becomes a little fox. She, she, it maybe it seems that she can, she always knows the right thing to say when the girlfriend's call. When the girlfriend's call, she has the right thing to say at the right time. She's got the right words, but he forgets to bring the milk home. And it's not the right words. Little fox. He turns the thermostat up, down. He turns the thermostat down. She turns it up. Little fox. She wants to go out. He'd rather stay home. Little fox. She wishes he wouldn't spend so much time at work. He wishes she wouldn't spend so much time getting ready. Little fox. Now, couples, here's the thing about little foxes. Couples are almost always blind to these when they first start out. I heard this song that made me laugh out loud. Here's a song. It's from the uh, third place finisher from one of the uh, American Idol uh, shows, which should say a whole lot right there. But it's a song called Eighth World Wonder, all right? Look at this. These are the words, the unedited words uh, from Eighth World Wonder. I woke up this morning, 
Uh, made my coffee like I always do. Then it hit me from nowhere, everything I feel about me and you. The way you kiss me crazy, baby, you're so amazing. Seven days, seven nights of thunder. The water's rising. I'm slipping under. I think I fell in love with the eighth world wonder. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah is right. I mean, this gets even worse. I guess I'm just falling deeper into something I've never known. Oh, couples go there all the time. But the way I'm feeling makes me realize it can't be wrong because our feelings are always right. Your love's like a summer rain. It washes my doubts away. This girl's in trouble. <laughs> now, here's the line that made me laugh. Here's the line that made me laugh. Because she's talking about the eighth world wonder, Mr. Perfect. <laughs> I'm not making this up. It's only been a week. How long is Mr. Eighth World Wonder going to maintain the title? Mr. Eighth World Wonder. Someone said nine days. <laughs> Eight days. Oh, my word. It's only been a week, but I know he's perfect. There's nothing wrong. Oh, man. That's deep right there. That's deep. Let's say this couple gets married. Mr. Eighth World Wonder doesn't stand a chance. Because little habits and little quirks, they might seem endearing at first, but they're going to become little foxes as soon as they start to rub each other the wrong way. Taboo topics <laughs> might become little foxes when things you should talk about become things you won't talk about. Speculation becomes a little fox when we assume the worst rather than believe the best. Timing can be a little fox. You have something you want to talk about, but it's the wrong time. Little fox. Hidden expectations, they're a guaranteed vineyard de-bloomer, as are the pace of life, poor boundaries, financial stress, family issues, household chores. Everything can become, can become a little fox. Even your strengths can become a fox, a little fox. Now, these things, they're little foxes because they seem small, but they have the power to ruin your vineyard. And there's my aha moment, the one I teased you with earlier. This was my aha moment. I encourage you to write this down, even though it's embarrassing to say this was aha for me. Little foxes can become what? Big problems. Little foxes become big problems. And here's why this was such an aha. I had mapped out this series months and months ago. I said, we're going to do, do four parts. Here's the four parts we're going to talk on. Here's the major themes we're going to hit on each week. Mapped it out. And I was planning to talk on this, the little foxes piece, and I put it last. And, and then it came to last week, and I'm looking at this week, and I'm going, why did I finish with little foxes? Why would I finish with something little? We've spent the first three weeks talking about big stuff. God's vision for marriage, his intent for marriage. As a single person, what does this mean? As a married person, what does this mean? Big stuff, big stuff, big stuff. What was I thinking putting the little stuff last? This is like anticlimactic. Oh, and by the way, watch out for the little stuff. Until it hit me. The little stuff is the big stuff. This is where your marriage is won or lost right here. For most people. How do you deal with the little foxes? We intuitively protect ourselves against the big foxes. Think about just practical life. Protecting yourself. You, we protect ourselves. We buy insurance, right? To protect ourselves for, from big things. We put locks on our doors to protect ourselves from big things. If you have a toddler, you put a gate 
between toddler and a fall. We protect ourselves from big things. We intuitively do that. Some of you will get this from week one. If a tree is about to fall on your house, you protect it, right? You take extreme measures. You protect the house. The big things, we intuitively do that. And the same is true mostly for relationships. From the big things, we'll protect it. What about the little things? This isn't, again, I'm not trying to oversimplify here. So there are exceptions to pretty much every rule I'm going to put out here. But for the most part, take something as extreme as, as serious financial problems. It usually doesn't start off with someone charging a Mercedes on a Visa card, you know? It's usually a little box. Take, take a marriage where it just feels dead. There's no life. There's no hope. Trace it all the way back. There's generally little foxes there at the start. Take something like an affair. It, it, usually, you can go back and you can see little tiny foxes that, 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 that are there at the beginning of this. In the passage that we've been looking at, she calls them little foxes. But she acknowledges these things are dangerous. They're deceptive. They're clever. They take on the fingerprints of the enemy who was the serpent in the garden, the father of lies. They appear little. They appear like they're no big deal, but they're dangerous. And what if we applied the same vigilance towards little foxes that we apply towards big threats or perceived big threats? In preparation for today, I reread um, sections of this book, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. I put it in your notes. I would encourage every person who wants to get married, every person who is married, read this book. Again, it's in your, in your notes. Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work. It's not written by somebody who's a professing believer, but I look through this, I'm like, biblical principle, biblical principle, biblical principle. The reason this stuff works is because it's biblical. Now, this is a guy, John Gottman, he's looked at as the expert on relationships in the world. In the world, he's looked at it. He has this thing called the Seattle Love Lab. Takes these couples in there. Mary knows this stuff. Um, she's trained in it. Uh, talk to Mary. Can you do this? They know who you are. She could tell you more and more about this guy. They have this thing called the Seattle Love Lab. They literally hook you up to all kinds of biofeedback stuff, and they put couples together and just like go do life, and they see what happens as they do life. Well, listen to what he says and see if you don't hear little foxes in what he's talking about. He goes, my goal has been nothing more ambitious than to just uncover the truth about marriage, to finally answer the questions that have puzzled people for so long. Why is marriage so tough? Why, why do some lifelong relationships click while others just tick away like a time bomb? How can you prevent a marriage from going bad or rescue one that already has? I am now, listen to these words, I am now able to predict whether a couple will stay happily together or lose their way. I can make this prediction after listening to the couple interact in our love lab for as little as how long? Five minutes. My accuracy rate in these predictions averages 91% over three separate studies. These predictions are not based on my intuition or preconceived notions of what marriage should be, but on the data that I've accumulated over years of study. And you're going to find this at different times where research backs up what the Bible says. Research does. What can make a marriage work is surprisingly simple. Happily married couples aren't smarter, richer, or more psychologically astute than others. But in their day-to-day -day lives, they have hit upon a dynamic that keeps their negative thoughts and feelings about each other, which all couples have, from overwhelming their positive ones. They have what I call an emotionally intelligent marriage. And 
I would call it, it learned to deal and respond to little foxes. So with the last couple minutes that we've got here, let's make this practical. Let's make this as practical as we can. How do you deal with a little fox? Number one, don't feed them and don't ignore them. You know, we have a lot of people from a rural background here, and we get this. You know, we get this. You don't feed them. You don't ignore them. Think about a literal fox. You know, we chuckle because you don't, you, if you want to get rid of a little fox, you don't just keep feeding it, and you don't ignore it. It's not going to go away if you feed it, if you ignore it. You know, you, relating that to life, it's too bad that life doesn't come with a soundtrack. Soundtrack, you know, if, if every time a little fox came in, you heard the Jaws theme, dun, 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 you'd be like, oh, little fox, little fox. I'm on high alert. But it doesn't happen that way. The little fox comes, and it's the whisper of the serpent. It's the whisper of the serpent who's very good at what he does, and he makes it sound right and makes it sound true and makes it sound justified. And so he does it. He gives us these little whispers. Sometimes you don't even recognize them. That's why it's so helpful sometimes to have language. Last week, we gave you the language of agreement. Don't agree with the enemy. This week, I hope this is helpful for you. Watch out for little foxes. It was helpful for me this week. This week, we were spent the week up north. And um, Laura and I are opposite on almost everything when it comes to personality and all this stuff. And so maybe you can, some of you can relate to this. Getting out of the house is, is often, for a big trip, getting out of the house is often a, a challenge. And it uh, usually doesn't go so well. But this week, and I'm, I'm not making this up, this week I had the language, oh, I'm going to be talking about little foxes. This week as we were getting ready to get out of the house, that's a little fox. A thought comes into my head that normally would be like, oh, she should just, why didn't she, what a little fox. Okay, little fox. How do I respond? I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to stuff it because it's going to come out. Um, I'm not going to feed it because in the past sometimes I do that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, so a lot, most of the little foxes, I, I just backed up. and I'm like, wait a minute. This isn't a her thing. This is just a preference thing. This is a, I like it this way. She likes it that way. She's not wrong. You know, and, and it was amazing when, when I just didn't give those little foxes anything to eat, when I didn't just ignore them, but I just did a quick little exercise. All right, wait a minute. Here's what I'm thinking. Why am I thinking this? Is this a big deal? It was amazing how they lose their power. It's just, it's fun. Now, sometimes it's simple. Sometimes it's as simple as this. Here's a verse from Proverbs, Proverbs 19.11. Sometimes it's this simple. A man's wisdom gives him what? Patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. There are sometimes it's that simple. Of You know what? This is just a preference thing. I'm not going to let it be a little fox. It's simple. Hey, wait a minute. Let's just either talk it out or just let it go. Sometimes it's that simple. Oftentimes it's not. So solve your solvable stuff. When you can't solve your solvable stuff, bring in some help. Bring in some help. Don't feed it. Don't ignore it. Bring in some help. Once you begin agreeing with thoughts that aren't from God, you'll start believing a narrative that is from the pit. You know, I, I, this might sound very blunt, but I believe it's true. If, if you start believing what the enemy says, and you don't turn to God and turn to each other, which we're going to talk about in just a second, if you do that, go down that path, the enemy blesses that path. If you want... To go down the path where you'll be blessed by God, here, here it is. First thing is turn to God. Turn to God. You don't, don't feed or ignore them and turn to God, not away. And I tell you, you will be tempted to turn away. You will be tempted to turn away. When a little fox comes, you'll be tempted to turn away from God. 
When the foxes start moving in, we're tempted to abandon God's principles. You'll, in extreme cases, you're tempted to walk away from the marriage. In the extreme cases. But, but on most of these day-to-day things, you're going to be tempted to do the opposite of what the Bible says. To look at the, you'll be tempted to look in the speck in their eye instead of the log in your own. You'll be tempted to do that. Turn towards God, not away. You'll be tempted to do the opposite, but turn towards God, not away. You'll be tempted to put conditions and expectations on your spouse. When the Bible says, hey, the Bible points it back to us. The Bible points it back to us and say, as much as it depends on you. Okay, what's my part? God, what would you have me to do? You're going to be tempted to do the opposite instead of asking that. You're going to be tempted also to reduce your challenges to a struggle against flesh and blood. This is her thing. Or maybe if I just tried harder, instead of going, wait a minute, this is bigger than either of us. There are forces at work here that are spiritual. We need help. We need to cry out to God. We need to cry out to his people for help. You're going to be tempted also to elevate the pursuit of happiness over the pursuit of holiness. Sometimes the hard stuff is there to make us stronger. To make us stronger than we would be otherwise. To refine us like gold. God wants to help. And he will if you let him. It may not be the result that you hope for. But at the very least, God can use it to refine us as people. At the very least. God can use even the hardest stuff to help us become stronger people. God will help if you let him. And the last one here that we want to give you is this. Turn towards each other, not away. When the foxes come, and they come, turn towards each other, not away. And for some of you, this is gonna, you're, you're not going to be able to have the each other part because you've got one spouse that's not ready to buy into this. But as much as it depends on you, towards turn towards the other, not away. Gottman says, he calls it a repair attempt. And he says these repair attempts, if, if they don't, if a couple doesn't have these, or they, they've just got bad patterns on how they apply them, they're done. If you don't get this part, you're done. If when a fox comes, you meet it with, you know, turn towards, against each other, you're, you're done. Well, the Gottman calls it a repair attempt. The Bible calls it reconciliation. The Bible calls it reconciliation, and that's where God does some of his best work, is in reconciliation. Repair attempts or attempts at reconciliation, they are the leading indicator of whether a couple will experience a marriage that grows deeper and richer over time or not. Conflict in marriage. For all the reasons we've discussed throughout the series, it is inevitable. When it comes your way, how are you going to handle it? Will you respond with what Gottman calls a harsh startup? I, I love that language, too. He, he, he identifies a harsh startup as when you've got an issue and you come like this. Well, how is that going to end? Does that ever end well? No. Oh, you know what? Now that you think of it and you're yelling at me, I guess you're right and I'm going to change my ways. No, fight or flight, right? I'm not, whoa, what's that? Or, oh, that, you know, it, it, it's fight or flight. So he said, do you come with a harsh startup when you got a thing, when you got a fox? Do you, do you respond when, when a fox comes to being defensive or angry or critical or condescending? When something happens, that little thing, or is it, oh, you did it again, or is it, hey, and having a real conversation? When, when a fox comes, will you respond with body language that conveys hostility or, I just don't care. I'm just going to keep looking at the TV. 
You know, how do you respond when these foxes come? Do you nag? Do you bring up baggage from the past? Or would you be willing to say, God, help me as I try to reconcile? And, and, and instead of those things, you say, you respond in the way that you'd like to be reached out to. How, if, if, if your spouse had an issue, how would you want them responding to you? Do you say, okay, God, help me to do it that way? You might gain compliance through other means. You know, I can hear the arguments in some people's head. Well, I can't do that because then I'll never get him to do anything or never get her to do anything. Okay. If compliance is your goal, the foxes rule your house. If, if, if compliance is now your standard, then you've already lost the battle. you lost the war. Instead of saying, God, as much as it depends on me, I'm going to try to reach out the way you would have me reach out. I'm going to try to, to reconcile as best I can with your help. Well, again, here's the passage as we bring this to a close. Here's the passage we've been looking at. Catch for us, she says to her love, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Some of you who are just starting out, still in bloom. You know, he's an eighth world wonder to you. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> um, for some of you, some of you, you're in that. Or, or, or someday, you know, that day is going to come and you're going to meet Mr. Mrs. Wonderful. And Keep this teaching in mind. And as those little foxes come, right away, right away, don't give them a place to stay. Deal with them right away. And you've got a shot at having something that, that most of us have never experienced. And for those who aren't starting out, you know, if you're like my, my situation, you know, I, I've fed some of these foxes so much that they are just monster hulking, huge, nasty foxes, and i got 12 years of, of feeding fox to, you know, deal with. The, the path away from that, it, it, we just gave it to you. It, it's, it's, it's those things. It's don't feed them anymore. It's don't ignore them anymore. It's turn to God, not away. It's turn towards her, not away. And step by step, watch as God can restore what's broken. I've seen marriages where people were ready to give up, where they've even had biblical justification to do so, and God restore it. He can do this. You know, and <laughs> earlier in the, in the series, I mentioned one of my personal fitness goals. It's not a very noble one, but it's to beat Nora, this 13-year-old who whooped me in a 5K. Um, and so as a preparation for our rematch, which I hope happens next April, um, I've been doing a lot of laps around Turtle Lake. And, and most weeks when I do my laps around Turtle Lake, I see the same elderly couple. And they're walking side by side, always. And sometimes they're holding hands. And usually they're engaged in conversation with one another. And most of the time they're laughing. And I look at that and I say, I want that even more than I want to beat Nora. And I want to beat Nora really bad. But I, 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 I want that. And if I want that, yep, the big things matter. Take a vacation, all that kind of stuff. Say you're sorry on the big things. That matters. But where the battle is going to be won or lost, it's, not, it's going to be in, yep, kicking out the little foxes, but it's also going to be in the thousand little things. It's in the little things over time. That's where the battle is going to be won or lost. Not just getting the foxes out of there, but, but doing the right little things. Saying, hey, let me get that. Saying, what do you want to watch? Saying, would you like a little bit of my cookie? <laughs> Saying, you look great. 
saying, thanks for cutting the grass, saying, thanks for washing the clothes, taking out your photo album and saying, do you remember that trip? Do you remember that time? Do you remember that moment? Saying, I'm sorry, saying, tell me about your day. And then saying, how can I pray for you today? I want to pray for you today. How can I pray for you today? Those thousand little things, over time, they add up. They're like fox chompers, you know? And that's, that's the external stuff. There's also the internal stuff. The internal stuff. When the thought comes in your head, and it's a little fox thought to say, nope, that's not true. She doesn't always. He doesn't always. That's just simply not true. When you feel like giving that little criticism instead of just keeping your mouth shut, to just hold that thought and then release it. When those things come up, that it's where you take a step back and go, wait a minute, that is just a preference. That's just an opinion thing. I'm not right. She's not right. So I'm just going to let it go. Or just express my opinions on it. And then there's the big internal choice. God, right now, I'm feeling this way. What would you have me do? What would you have me do? That's how you build a great marriage. These things are these big things that we've been talking about. Won and lost in the little things. Well, as we close, let me, let me pray for us all as we conclude this series and we wrap up. Would you please stand? Because I want to pray a blessing as we go forth on this. Lord, we want, to, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that you're not a God who just does what our world does, and that's tell us what we want to hear. Or tell us something that, that has a selfish, manipulative goal in mind. Lord, we thank you that you reveal yourself for who you really are. And Lord, we thank you for the sacrifices that you've made, the ways you've demonstrated your commitment to us, even though we don't deserve it. And in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. We thank you for that. And we thank you that you are good enough to reveal truth to us. Truth that is hard, but truth that can bring us to a place that we could never arrive at without applying your principles. So Lord, we pray for your spirit to fall upon us. I pray for those who are just starting out in all these relationships and all these things, when it's new and it's fresh, Lord, guard them. Help them to guard against those little foxes. And Lord, for those of us who've been feeding foxes and, not, and ignoring them, Lord, help us to now step by step to begin to reclaim this vineyard. Our vineyard is worth fighting for. Help us, Lord, starting today, to begin to reclaim this vineyard from the enemy. It is not his. Holy Spirit, we pray against powers and principalities of darkness that have tried to lay claim to these marriages. Father, we release them in Jesus' name. We ask that you would instead fill our homes, our lives, our minds, our hearts with your spirit and the fruit of your spirit. Would you bless us in that way? In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.